Welcome to The Lisa Show. Uh, you know, I don't think I have to come up with an example to talk about this situation of where you are talking to somebody and you're trying to explain your point of view politically mm-hmm. with someone who is on the opposite end. Yeah. And, I- and I'm not going to get political about it because it doesn't really matter to this conversation that I want to bring up because everyone thinks they're right. right. That's kind of the where we've gotten in our country where we've been completely polarized to our sides, right? Right. And and everyone I've heard everyone complain about it. I've heard no matter where you stand politically, everyone complains, well, the other side just won't see this. Or the other side only... Well, that's because they don't. Yeah. yeah. Or they only read... Um, it's that confirmation bias, right? Yep. They only read articles and engage in conversations that just confirm what they already believe. So how do we ever come together? So we know that this is a this is a problem. Um, this is something that I try not to engage in in my family, but it is... In order to preserve relationships, right? Mm-hmm. But it is really, really difficult. And and I know I'm not alone in this. Um, a recent survey showed that over 80% of both Democrats and Republicans agreed that people of the opposite political party are very unfavorable. <laughs> so it feels like this divide is getting deeper and deeper, especially with recent events. So having a conversation about political beliefs shouldn't be taboo. I remember doing this quite openly and frequently, like in high school and in college, and it wasn't as polarizing. I remember having conversations with people on opposite political parties and just having a nice discussion. Um, it doesn't seem like I'm able to do that now. Are, are you able to do that? Yeah, no, the, the gone are the days of agree to disagree, and yeah. c- come are the days of, well, I guess we can both agree that you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's getting yeah. very personal, so we thought it would be very um, appropriate to invite into the conversation friend of the show and conflict coach and certified mediator Emily Taylor to talk about her nonprofit, Better Angels Alliance, and how it's helping to overcome aggression polarization. Welcome back, Emily. Hey, thanks for having me. So I've set this up as as this polarization, right? Sure. And, and a lot of us accept it as, well, this is just the way things are now. But mm-hmm. what, what are the risks to our country when each party hates each other so much? Well, I think you see it uh, across the nation. There's the kind of the hate or I'm not going to really listen to you because you actually don't know what you're talking about, just mm-hmm. like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. But there's the individual level, too, and the family level where you're actually not talking about things that matter. So instead of having conversations about things that I mean, it actually does matter what happens with immigration, with student debt, whatever it is. Sure. Like these are things that actually affect individuals and families. So if we don't talk about it, we actually don't make anything different. We actually, I think, are making it kind of worse. So I just feel like I personally, I just need to have some kind of way to talk about the things that matter to me so I can stay connected to the other people that matter to me. Maybe I'm not having a conversation with someone across the country, but maybe it's just more, even with the people I interact with daily Mm -hmm. at work or at home, can I even have a conversation Hmm. that would be significant rather than talking about just logistics. Oh, that really speaks to me because I'm not a, hey, what's the weather like kind of, I want to go deep in a conversation. Yes. So then this this polarization, how do we approach it even before we we start that conversation with a loved one? Sure. Okay. So Better Angels was developed after the election of 2016. You might have guessed. That Mm -hmm. was kind of like the height of everybody recognizing (laughs) how polarized we are. But what happened actually, just just in terms of background, was a couple of the founders gathered a group of um, Trump supporters and from the other side, and they got together. It was about 20 people. This was in Lebanon, Ohio. And they actually had this amazing conversation. And from that, they said, hey, if we can do it, especially right after election, we think other people can do it, too. So the idea is that you get kind of in a local way, people together, and they listen to each other's stereotypes. There's even a depolarizing within, because sometimes we're conflicted within. Like, for me, I always like to think I'm purple, that Mm -hmm. I can see both sides. You know, I'm a mediator, so I try not (laughs) to take a side. But I actually do have opinions that I haven't. I had the preparation to even state. So in some of our skills workshops, we actually have people practice not just listening, 
which is part of it, mm-hmm. but saying what they think hmm. in a safe environment. So you yeah. practice sometimes just with someone who's of your own political views, and then you can go into uh, a conversation with someone who may not share your same views. That is so interesting. So t- talk to us a little bit more about this this alliance, Better Angels Alliance, um, and and how that works like on a local level now. Okay, sure. So just quick thing. Better Angels comes from a quote from Abraham Lincoln, who is talking about how we need to appeal to the better angels of our nature. So it's not a religious organization. It's based on that quote, bringing people together. So if in a local community, you'd have a Maybe you have a state chair. So every state has someone who's trying to get people to come together. We had something on campus um, at a university where I was able to observe having it was actually only seven conservative leaning students and seven um, liberal, you know, liberal students. And they Uh would listen to each other with their stereotypes Um, So like say you'd have a group of liberals all talking about the stereotypes about their own party Mm -hmm. and then they'd critique some of the is there any truth in this is like what are the weaknesses so the others are just observing. Okay. So you have a really well um, developed method for understanding your own stereotypes, the stereotypes of the other, and you're listening to people from their own party talk about the strengths and weaknesses. Mm. So that's kind of at at heart is to listen to the own you know, your the other side talk about themselves first, and then you have kind of a better idea that, oh, they don't see themselves as perfect either, that there there's actually some room for common ground. So you, you set it up in a way that there's going to be some learning and then some conversation instead Ooh, of, I, like that. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. We're talking with uh, Emily Taylor, who is a conflict coach, a certified mediator about uh, the Better Angels Alliance. And and I hear this and I think, okay, well, in an academic setting, this makes sense, right? Yes. Like, yeah. come and we'll observe <laughs> and the seven of you and the 10 of them and yes. let us all, you know, and people will engage in that because, I mean, that's sort of what you do in academia. Yes. I want to apply it to a family where I can't or it is much harder for me to say, all right, let's sit around, family, and, yes. and you yeah, discuss... Yeah, we need some tactics. Yeah, you, <laughs> okay. you, you discuss those things that might be, you know, stereotypical of you, and I mm-hmm. can I can instantly see that being like, oh, you're not the boss, and then I don't talk to my family anymore. Yes, okay, so perfect. So actually... <laughs> so that might be extreme, but yeah, in some no, cases, maybe not. but in some not. cases, uh, in some families, that's a situation right now. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, in families, especially like Lisa, you were mentioning, like, you just decide not to say anything at all. Yeah, right? yeah. Sometimes we just announce at, at some family gatherings, we're not talking about politics. Yeah, and that can be appropriate. But in terms of actual tactics, so the skills workshop that we actually have done in the community, like at a public library, mm-hmm. or you can have hosts at different organizations that mm-hmm. w- you know would like to have you come in. I'm a, one of the moderators. First off is actually acknowledging where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. So say, hey, say for, for me, something was, you know, you know, I have pretty strong feelings about immigration. Mm-hmm. So opening it with an acknowledgement of where you're coming from. So you're not trying, like you're not perceived as trying to be like you're trying to trap someone because we all have been trapped. Right. Mm -hmm. So opening and I'm not opening a conversation with someone. I actually I'm not in a protest in the middle of like verbal warfare trying to have this conversation. Right. Right. So, Richie, you know, I feel strongly about immigration. I'm really curious because I don't understand the you know, the. The opposite views. I'm wondering if you'd share with me a little bit about your views about immigration. And then I try to, I reflect back what I hear. So I'm hearing you say X. Mm-hmm. How did you come to that point of view? Have you had any experiences in particular with, you know, that have related to immigration? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get a story. Usually mm-hmm. if you get a story, there's some good reason why someone has that view, even if it's very different from you. So I've reflected back, and oftentimes peacemaker people in particular are good at this part. Okay, mm-hmm. They're good at like hearing the other side, reflecting it back, but then they feel kind of shafted because they never get the chance to share what they think. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. So, so then you say... Not in like not to say, okay, we know that you're uneducated. No, yeah. say <laughs> actually but um say, you know, I actually had like I've had some of my own experiences and I wondered if I could share, you know, how, where I come from and then stating that view on the same issue. Mm-hmm. You're not going off into all these other issues. Right. And then the other person, you know, can take it or not, and it can maybe further along, but you try to share your story. So yeah. not just your belief about why X is important, but saying, you know, I've actually, you know, I grew up in a certain place and 
we just I was surrounded by immigrants and that was just part of my life and it seemed rich and full and I enjoyed it. And then the other person, maybe they get really mad and they're mm-hmm. like, well, you just don't understand. Like, mm-hmm. But then we actually plan exit strategies. You know, one exit strategy is, strategy is just to be, you know, a little bit funny and just say, hey, it looks like we're not going to solve world peace today or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. But we provide people training with how to exit if it becomes too volatile. But the idea is not that you just engage and listen to the other person, but that you actually get to share hmm. what you are thinking. And that that's... That's how you build connection, right? So, yeah. it, what is it that's so powerful about that storytelling element, uh, and, and having it go beyond just, you know, this is my belief and this is my, you know, theory? I think when you tell stories, you see it's more nuanced. Like a lot of us are consumers of a lot of political thought and rhetoric, mm-hmm. or we'll cite certain people or certain sources for why we're right. But when it comes back to us, we we probably see that we're a little like again nuanced or oh hey well when I tell my story I realize maybe I'm not so certain mm-hmm. or maybe I am really passionate but then I can fi- try to weave in with you your own experience because mm-hmm. usually it's not just about that one thing it actually has right. layers of other mm-hmm. issues in it but if in the telling I understand myself better so part of it yes I'm trying to learn yeah. what you think but some of it is we need to realize what we think and we have so few opportunities to actually figure it out in a safe place or in a place that actually allows for some contrast. Oh yeah. And a lot of this I think I feel like is the intention of what you're hoping to get out of it. If you're yes, expecting right. to to change the other person's mind, I would bet most of the time you're going to be you know very yes. upset or you know mistaken. They're not going to do that. But if it's I want to understand this person's story and I want to be understood, like you can do that and still disagree and walk away from from the situation going, I feel more understood and I also understand more. Yeah. So, I mean, the basic premise of Better Angels is that you're not trying to change someone else's political views. What you, is the end goal? The end goal is to have have conversations and to realize in your telling your story and listening effectively to others that you actually have more in common than you think. Hmm. Kind of like going back to the better angels of our nature dictate that we have commonality. Hmm. But... Right now, it's just the idea that we're so different, there's no way we could actually have anything in common or we could even have a conversation. But it's, it was, it's striking, even when I've done these in different contexts, you see that people feel understood and then they feel way more tolerant. We're actually tracking. We have some um, statisticians, not my area, but they're tracking and they see that there is a gravitation towards seeing the other side as more favorable because that's the quote we started with, right? Uh 80% seeing the other side simply as unfavorable, undesirable people, right? Yeah. And I don't think that's really what what we're about. I think that a lot of it's perception, but we have to put ourselves in a position to change perception. So has going through this process of, of the Better Angels sort of alliance, has that changed any of your political views? I think it's allowed me to voice them. I'm actually, I, I learned growing up in, a, I grew up in near San Francisco and not, I felt like I was, I just learned to listen. I just, I knew that maybe some of my views would not be the same as everybody else. So I just listened. And so I didn't learn how to say what I think. So recently at a a public library meeting we had, uh, there was a woman and I could tell she was hedging at every second talking to the the person of the other party. And I just, I said, do you mind if we redo that? Because I feel like you're so concerned about not offending him that you're not saying what you really think. Mm -hmm. I think you can say what you think without it won't be taken as offensive if you tell your story. And so she got she had a chance to verbalize uh-huh. in a safe environment what she thinks and that felt empowering. And the other guy was like, "Oh, I'm not offended at all." Yeah. Like that was great. That it actually was weirder to not say what you think. Hmm. Cuz I cuz now I'm thinking that you're making a lot of assumptions about me when if you focus on what you think, it allows the other person to just take it in. Wow, that seems so powerful. And I'm wondering how we can take this idea and have it spread like mm-hmm. on a bigger stage. You know, to yes. people that might be able to influence and lead this nation. And, yes. you know, I mean, re- really, though, I hear this and, and and I think, man, what a great benefit it could be to many who are in charge. Is there an effort like that being made to kind of push it upward? Again, it's mo- like this is an organization mostly of volunteers. I just got involved because I happened to participate. But like. Why can't our kids, like you were talking about, Lisa, that, you know, growing up or maybe high school, college, Mm -hmm. you had those experiences. 
trying with some of the younger kids to be able to talk about it. Because right. I've heard my kids come home and just tout what other kids say based on what their parents say, right? Right. Ultimately, you want each person to have their own opportunity to share what they think mm. rather than just repeating somebody else's position. So I guess it's up to the volunteers, but I'm hoping to do more of it just here in our local community. Right. I'm just thinking about all the applications that you could have, you know, if you thought, well, I don't know if I want to go to this alliance, and maybe people would, Yes. Um, but how you could start it within your own home, sort of model it to your kids or in your own family, and then have it spread outward. I'm an optimist like that, that I yes. think, well, if it starts in the homes, it could <laughs> spread so fast. And Yeah. No, actually, we just, we're getting trained specifically if there's for family workshops. So the guy who developed even all of the skills workshops mm-hmm. is a... A therapist originally. Bill Doherty wow. is from the University of Minnesota. And so the to have political conversations within the family is one of the new focuses. Mm. So that will be coming. Wow. Is this something that has helped your own personal, like in your family, either your family of origin or your family now? Yes, because we actually, I mean, we've had to have political conversations because of the just, I mean, the media is constant Listen, with all my kids. There. We see it yeah. and we see the re- like the hatred. So we'll have conversations about, so what do you, what do you think about that? Rather than me just, I I mean, I I share a little bit of what I feel, but I have to be careful because I'm, you know, the parent Mm -hmm. and I don't want them to just express what I think. So we've had great conversations, especially with my teenagers. Oh, that's so great. And have you been given those opportunities to disagree with your teenagers and just have to be you know, sort of uh, respectful to their story and them to you? Yeah, for sure. And then also just saying, hey, you know, I I haven't read a ton about this. Like acknowledging Mm -hmm. my limits. Mm -hmm. And I think each of us could do a lot better by acknowledging, hey, like I've heard this, but I haven't really studied much about it Mm -hmm. rather than just repeating it. Yeah, that's hard. And having kids and and baby adults, I call them. (laughs) You know, when you have... They don't appreciate when you call them that. (laughs) No, I know. But when they have a different uh, political view than you, that's a new parenting experience. It is, but empowering, right? Absolutely. Oh, thank you for sharing some of these ideas about this conflict resolution within a larger sense. It's um, Emily Taylor, conflict coach, certified mediator we've been talking to, and member of Better Angels Alliance. And if this has sparked your um, interest and you're thinking, ooh, this is something I could really get into, you can find out more about Better Angels on their website, betterangels.org, and you can find Emily on conflictfluent.com. You're listening to The Lisa Show. We'll be right back. This is The Lisa Show. I think we can all agree that life just never seems to happen the way we planned it. Uh, on days that everything are fine, right? You just know that... What days are those when everything <laughs> is fine? Hang on one I'm second. I'm saying hypothetically okay. that the next day then will make up for it. Okay. Like probably more than, right? Mm-hmm. Especially as parents, I think most of the time we're just improvising. Uh, like, hey, now what? Oh, cool. All right. Well, few of us will ever have to perform for an audience or a downtown improv comedy stage. Sometimes it just feels like life is the performance that we didn't practice, Right. But that doesn't mean we're destined to flop on life stage. Here to teach us how to thrive off uncertainty and the unexpected events of life is improv comedian mother and my friend and friend of the show, Katie Craig. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa and Richie. A pleasure to see you, Katie Craig. (laughs) Um, I'm going to hit you with this right off. Oh, no. (laughs) Do you think that you go through life like with whatever will be thrown your way as a mom or as a as a uh, improviser or anything whatever role you you're doing at that moment do you enter in with the mindset I'm just gonna take it as it comes or do you have some other sort of like tactic that you approach life with you know that's a really great question I actually have a friend who's super inspiring and she was telling me that each year then she tries to like have an intention that mm-hmm. that is kind of like in the background of her mind as she's going through things. And so um, like her intention is connection and now. And so she's saying, so then when she like is handling something, then she tries to think about like, okay, not only do I need to correct this child, but I also need to remember connection. So I need to make sure that the way that I'm correcting is still like strengthening our connection together. She's super inspiring. That's not me. No, I feel like. <laughs> Thank you for using yeah. her example. Uh-huh. I what feel do you like do? I'm going through and I'm like, all right, let's, 
Let's see what it is. And there there have actually been times where I've like paused and looked around and thought, is there a camera? Is there a camera that is trying to capture this cuckoo crazy and see how I'm doing it? Not well. (laughs) (laughs) So you just come and take it what how whatever comes. Yeah, I feel like that's 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 kind of how we're relatable. Yeah, there's so many things coming at us and we really are trying to give our best effort. And I think there are for sure times where we're not killing it. But I think a lot of times then the fact that we're still moving forward, that's that's it. That's big. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Now, obviously, the big principle and the three of us are familiar with this because we all have all performed improv um, is that yes and mm-hmm. principle which for you probably yeah for people who don't need yeah. to, or don't understand we, sh- we should break that down yeah as so, condescendingly as possible I think we I'll, should I'll take this <laughs> okay yeah go ahead <laughs> so one of the very first rules of improv is yes and this idea that when someone gives you this offering on stage then you have a choice to either say yes oh I love this thing that you handed me and now I'm going to add more information and energy to it and move the scene forward. Or we can also knock it down and we can totally deny this thing that they've given us and make the scene come to a screeching halt. Right. So, you know, you walk in and the person says, oh, Mr. Stedman, you're late for your appointment. Then you have... Ah. I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm really sorry that I was late. You wouldn't believe what I saw just outside the door. I had to. And there Yay! it is. Yeah. See, you yes and. You, you yes and. You didn't ended. say, I'm yeah. not Mr. Stedman. You are. <laughs> I'm your dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not late. You must be mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then then the, everyone's confused on yeah. stage, the audience, it everything yeah. stops. It chops the scene. It denies it and and it also denies all the trust. Like all of a sudden everyone feels like you're alone in a life raft on this stage and it feels really dangerous and it doesn't feel safe and good. So So does that translate right to to life then? I feel like it does. I feel like it's a really great rule and something to think about for life. Because when we go the way where we say yes and, then it does all of these good things. It builds trust. It moves the scene forward. It fuels creativity. It's a way of affirming what someone has said or done or where they are. And then it gives us the opportunity to say, okay, now what am I going to do with that? How am I going to move forward? How am I going to bring my energy? And how am I going to bring my thoughts to this and and move forward in this? So give us an example of, of how you might use that in your life. Oh, I would love to. That's such a great question. Um, well, I have a really, I have a funny thing about affirming. I have a friend and she was offering us tickets. She's older than us. Mm-hmm. Very kind. And she was... So like 35. I just want to be clear. <laughs> this person's like 35 or 36. Oh, oh Richie. <laughs> You're darling. <laughs> and she had called and she was saying, oh, I have tickets to this football game. It's today. And it was raining and it was freezing and it was a terrible day. And she said, did you want tickets to this? local football game and you know my husband and I are looking at each other like oh I just I just don't think there's anyone who would use it thank you so much but I just don't think so and bless her heart she says no of course you wouldn't why would you (laughs) there was no cajoling right she was just accepting and affirming right where I was that's funny of course you wouldn't and and I think that's a good example of like we're affirming someone we're not we're not we're taking them where they are and we're saying okay now where do we go from there yeah I think we do it often with our kids or we don't, you know, we either shut them down and say, yeah. I'm going to stop you right there. That's a terrible idea. Or we've already been through this. Or when we're living our best lives, then we say something like, I love that you thought of that. Or that's such a great idea. Thank you for sharing that with me. Or, oh, that makes me think of this other thing. Or even like, oh, you're so great. I love it. We're talking to friend of the show, Katie Craig, about improvising and how to move forward in our lives with humor, but also uh, by advancing the offerings that others give us, which I think is an interesting point of view that we don't really often talk about. Do you think that um, it, that this translates to other areas of your life beyond parenting? I do. I feel like this is a really key Um, ingredient to any relationship, any working relationship, really. Like, I think about the way that you two work together. If you shut down each other's ideas all the time, it would be a miserable place to be. But um, because you guys listen to each other and you say, oh, yes, I'll take that or, oh, that's a good thing. And then you're adding to it. It feels like a collaboration. And I think that's that's true in any relationship that we have that's a quote unquote working relationship where we have to produce something or we have to work together and and make an environment where 
people feel like they can share their ideas and they're not going to be shut down out of hand. Oh, that's a good point. I like that. I would love to be in uh, different kinds of relationships, not only at, at, at work, but also in my personal life where people feel like they can bring like crazy ideas or whatever and that they that that, that will be received yeah. in a positive light. Yeah. I, I think this with, uh, especially I'm thinking since I'm recently married, uh, just how much my wife has had to yes and, and she is not a performer by any means. Mm-hmm. She's also very introverted, but she understands the principle of yes and with me because I'll come home and be like, hey, <laughs> so I'm thinking since Valentine's Day is coming, taking a couple days of work off and I'm going to do singing telegrams for a couple of days. <laughs> and I think that- most, I want one. I, I think that, that most- most uh, women would probably be like, "What now? I'm, I'm sorry. What? Uh, what? No, no, you're not. <laughs> what about Ab- me? Absolutely not. Or what is this? You're embarrassing, etc." And she's like, "Cool. So do I need to hop online and get a costume for oh. you? And is there a jumpsuit?" And I'm like, "That's that's. that's she's love. a keeper. I have, fa- she, yeah. I have yeah. found the one. Yes, yeah, she gets it. And that that principle is feeding you. Mm-hmm. It feeds you, and it and you feel safe. And whether or not that idea even happens, I sure hope it does. Yes, <laughs> your relationship is stronger because." of that interaction yeah because think of the uh, of the other side is actually yeah. not you know that's a stupid idea mm-hmm. oh that's embarrassing that you know w- what are you going to do are you even going to make any money all yeah. of those things and then quickly it's like well this is not a safe place no. for me to be able to share you know whether again whether or not the idea actually comes yeah. to fruition or not I don't I don't feel safe to do it. Yeah. And that's obviously silly, right? People are going, all right, I'm not no, going to have a singing telegram a conversation really good with my point. spouse. Because there are going to be some times where somebody close to you, either in a work environment or in your family, has a crazy idea and, and in your head you're thinking, "No danger. Th- yeah. This will hurt you or cost too much money or there's no way we are going to be able to do that." How do you respond? to those situations without just, I mean, you can't say yes to everything in your entire life, right? <laughs> or can you? <laughs> no, Richie, I've seen you the can't. movie, Jim Carrey, he learns to no, play the I, guitar, he learns it ends Spanish. Horribly. He, he learns his lesson, and then he doesn't even have that ability anymore. So what do you do? I think that's a really good point. I think I love that you bring this up, this idea that it's safe to dream together. Yes. And and that we and. can <laughs> that we can dream and that we can both say, oh, that would be so fun, wouldn't it? And and sometimes that's really the best response is that would be so fun. <laughs> do you do that? Are you that mom I, that's like, oh, I, I love that idea. I love now, that. That's so great. What do we need to do? What's now the next go wash step? Wash your hands because now we're going to. <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny though because for me one of the things um, so so my kid uh, com- completely different from how I am uh, and my ex-wife completely different from how I am and how my kid is as well and there would be times that we would have the conversation and he would sort of dream with us mm-hmm. and I I felt very strongly that it was a thing for me as a parent to just encourage him that there yeah. will be plenty of other people who will be discouraging to him or for just sure. life Real in general. Real life does that, a really good job of making us kind of cynical and, and too realistic, I think. Yeah, so, I, so it didn't need to be my role as a parent to be like, well, that's dumb or that's not going to work. It's like, yeah, you bet. What do you need? And then as he experienced things, he's like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that thing. <laughs> Which was the result that I knew, right. that, but that I could be supportive rather than the dis- discourager In through whatever that thing I is. I completely yeah. agree with you. But I know that there are those moments, though, and I hate to like keep pushing this, where you have to <laughs> Lisa. say, you have to be the voice of reason. Like Listen, I hate being the voice of reason, or I yeah. hate being... How, how do you handle that, Katie? I think that's a good question. I I agree with both of you. I think there is this that we want to encourage and that we want to help out. But I think you're bringing up a good point, Lisa, that sometimes we asking the questions and sometimes going along really helps those things to come out, right? Yes. And instead of us taking it on and saying, oh, okay, well, I guess that means I need to this, it can be something like, okay, so what would be the next thing? Or what do you think is next? Or what does that look like? Or how do I how do I help with that? Or I don't have a million dollars. That's right. That's right. Okay, well, so what do we... So now what? Yeah, but what do we need to do next? But if you help me recognize that I don't have a million dollars as opposed to guess, you telling yeah. me I don't? Yeah, yeah that's different, It's completely it? different for me. It's totally it's different. Point. And think about the yes and times that you've with your, with your husband even. Right. Hey, sure. I'd like to go get a doctorate in England. That's All right. right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You yes and that. I okay. I guess on. we're going to need to do this and that and this and a million things that. Yeah. 
But that, on paper, it probably didn't make sense. No, yeah. it still doesn't. But <laughs> <laughs> what's done is done. Yeah. And it was one heck of a ride. It was. It was worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the opposite, like when we think about what the opposite looks like, especially when we're thinking about like um, accepting where we are in a situation. And that's really one of the biggest things I think. We have to yes and with our higher power or with God even mm-hmm. to say, okay, this is where I am. Anything is possible. Is that what you're saying? Both. Either here I am and now like what amazing things or here I am. It's not what I expected. What am I going to do to move forward? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we have a big choice because the opposite looks like complaining, whining, Mm -hmm. repeating the same worries over and over, not forgiving others or not forgiving myself for making mistakes. Right. And we keep bringing this up and we keep saying, I can't believe I did this thing. I can't believe I did this thing. And now I'm sitting here. I can't believe that this thing happened and we're not moving forward or trying to ignore the problem. And so I think it's the same the same thing that we can do when we're thinking about our situation is accepting, like looking to God and saying, okay, here I am. Yes, now I am here. I'm accepting where I am. I'm, I'm ready for the next thing. And now, and now, where? what choice do I have? What do I need to do to move the scene forward? What do I need to do to move forward from this and, and to put my energy behind it? And what's my next step going to look like going forward? I like that because you're not saying you're going to positive affirmation your way out of anything right. or just ignore it by saying yes and over here to something unrelated. It really is an openness to, to do something. Yeah. Yeah. And because I think we all find ourselves in situations where we're like, I don't want to be here. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't funny. <laughs> this isn't great. We were, um, I think about a time that we were in between jobs. <laughs> That's a nice way to That's say it. That's a good it. way to say it. We had recently moved to a new state and we were living in my sister's house temporarily while they were out of the country. And um, the job that we have moved had moved up for disintegrated. Oh, how fun. And yeah, and so we were in this period of time where we were like, oh, cool. I don't know where, you know, what's going to happen. And and you kind of start to be like, I don't know, should we have moved? And we really did feel like, yep, this was this is where we're supposed to be. It's which is the most fun when you're answering questions like, how's the move? How's the job? So good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did move. And, and we also don't have to worry about that job anymore. Yeah. That's One true. less thing to worry about. And and we remember getting a phone call um, from a dear friend of ours who um, had been who was um, had been a girl that we had known when many years before. And she wanted to prepare to serve a mission for our church and she didn't have a lot of support from home and she said could I come and live with you guys while I am preparing for that time and (laughs) and we were like of course yeah you bet of course we had seven children (laughs) and not employed and living in our sister's house and we said yes yes of course what else are we going to say and and then right around that same time we found out we were pregnant oh yeah (laughs) surprise and it was just another one of those where you're you're like, okay, God, here we are. What do we need to do to move forward? What is this going to look like? Yeah, well, we're going to work hard. Yeah, we're ready to go. Because I'm here. That's not going to change. No matter how much I complain, no matter how much I worry, no matter how much I stew in all of this, this is where we are. And what do we need to move forward? And honestly, like we made it through this time. Like How it, though? People are going to be like, wait, well, so what did you do? What magic. Happened? Fairy dust. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we had really, we had great friends. My husband got some freelance work while he was still looking for a job Mm -hmm. and then um, a job came up and then uh, the place that we were going to move into came up and we were able to pay rent and (laughs) all of these wonderful things happened and even getting her ready to go and do this mission for our church then things opened up this woman actually said I I lost a lot of weight and I have all of these clothes that are really wonderful and I don't know what to do with them and they fit this girl perfectly and she had all the clothes that she needed to wear and oh, wow. just one thing after another that was like honestly when i look back at that time mm-hmm. i see all of the magic i see all of the amazing things that happened and i think it's because i hope it's because i managed to say okay here we are now what do i need to move forward and and to stop wallowing to get into the part where it's like okay and and yeah. now what do I do? And 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 I'm going to move forward and I'm going to just try to keep moving forward. A lot of great motivation for those who may find themselves like you say in a in a situation where they're just trying to figure out what 
take a second? Well, yes, I am in that situation, and here's what I'm going to do with it. It's Katie Craig. She is a friend of The Lisa Show. She is a mom. She is a wife. She is author of a future book telling us your story about <laughs> that. Happening. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. She's Thank got you. notes. Come on. Thank it's you so, so much for notes. being here. Thank you for listening to The Lisa Show. This is The Lisa Show. Now, we're switching uh, focuses right now. We're talking about something that is really difficult for a lot of people to process, let alone talk about. And it's it's the suffering that that we see around the world that children are going through. Specifically, the ever-growing refugee crisis is, is all-consuming, has caused a great deal of worry and panic and affecting a lot of children um, who, when you think of a childhood and what a child should be experiencing. Playing, laughter, yeah, it, giggling. Learning. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I know that that I'm not alone in this. As as we look at the news and we look at the world around us, we think, oh, I would help those kids. What can I do to help? Um, we want them all to have a little bit more joy, obviously, in their lives. So we, um, at, on as part of the Lisa Show, look to JustServe.org, right? And there's a lot of really great um, organizations that are doing a lot of good around the world. And this one got our attention. Three and a half years ago, Sarah Parson founded an organization called Dolls of Hope. And at the end of 2019, Dolls of Hope has sent over 35,000 handmade dolls and bears and matchbox cars to children living in crisis in 37 countries around the world. So Sarah's here today to tell us more about her organization and how we can get involved and serve. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So Dolls of Hope, tell us about your organization, how it started, and and how it spread. So um, basically once the refugee crisis um, kind of started going global, we started seeing um, you know, videos and stories on the news all the time. Um, in 2015, I just, my heart was just really drawn out to these families and these children. Um, and I started looking for ways that I could help. And I had had about 18 months before that, I had had twins. And I had, so I had five children and my twins were um, my youngest. And I was obviously not able to do very much to help, mm-hmm. but I wanted to find a way that I could do something to help. And so I started just looking into um, organizations that were helping and, and how I here in the U.S. could help. And um, I didn't find a lot of ways, but what I found, you know, I just kept looking and, and finding ways. Yeah. So I was talking to a woman um, in the spring of 2016 who had gone over to Greece. And um, one of the things she mentioned was that the children in the camps had nothing to play with. And so, of course, because they're children and all children need to play, mm-hmm. um, you know, they found things to play with. So it was mm-hmm. garbage. You know, it was rusty nails. It was, um, you know, pieces of wood or, or plastic that they could kind of fold into, or form into a ball um, to kick around. And, um, you know, that was just one of the observations she, that she had. And that just kind of stuck with me. And I, um, I have made dolls and different stuffed animals for my children. Uh-huh. And my kids are all obsessed with their stuffed animals. <laughs> and they carry them everywhere. Yeah. And um, shortly after I'd met with this woman and talked with her, um, I was driving in the car, and my children um, had undoubtedly, you know, before we left, just gone back into the house to get their, to get their stuffed animals. And I was driving in the car, and I just had this thought that I could make dolls and bears for these kids who are living in these camps. Mm. And I thought, I'm sure I could find people who would want to help. And so I just started spreading the word as much as I could on Facebook, just word of mouth. Um, And really Facebook, primarily Facebook and Instagram have just really helped grow my mission, Mm -hmm. um, as well as um, Just Serve, like you mentioned, because people in their own communities are looking for ways to help and they can look on Just Serve and, uh, and see Dolls of Hope. So it's, it's spread exponentially. Um, when I started it, I had no idea, you know, how big it was going to get and how fast. But it's been, it's been beautiful to watch as people found ways to get involved and, and help. It's one thing to have this idea in a minivan full of kids. Hey, I'm going to make some dolls. And it's another thing to have it spread to 37 different countries. What is that connection between, hey, a lot of people are... Uh, you know, involved and and want to help and 
and then the execution of, of actually doing it and getting it to, to kids in need. How did you find those connections? So um, things just kind of grew organically, um, started very small. The first year um, I worked through, for example, that woman that I had met, she was going back to Greece. Mm -hmm. And so I started collecting, making and collecting for that one camp she was going to and send and, you know, sending them with her. Um, but once you get involved in anything, um, you the world becomes really small <laughs> and opportunities open up, right? So as I started working with her, then I found out of another organization who was working overseas in, in Greece and Turkey. And so I sent with them and and I used to search for opportunities, search for organizations mm -hmm. who were um, you know, who are working with refugee children, who I could help, who I could send items to that they could distribute. And now organizations look, come to me. I don't have to look anymore. They oh, come wow. to me and they say, hey, we're sending a container or we've got volunteers traveling overseas. Could we could we get some dollars and bears? So it's been really neat. Um, again, because I didn't see how the vision of it, you know, it mm -hmm. just kind of grew organically. And so I've been able to just kind of grow with it. Um, to the point where we are now sending, you know, last year we sent seven over 17,000, which wow. was the amount that we'd sent in the past, you know, two and a half years before that, which is just amazing. So we're talking with Sarah Parson, who is the founder of Dolls of Hope. Talk about the significance of that name. So um, when I was trying to think of, you know, the name, I um, just started brainstorming. And obviously, um, hope is just a big part of what we want the children to feel. We want them to feel loved. Um, we want them to feel joy. We want them to feel some hope for the future, even though we um, we can't do anything to change their circumstances. Um, I really felt like our efforts and what we were doing was going to help bring them hope. And I started brainstorming. I was thinking about bears. I was thinking about dolls. And, and dolls of hope just kind of came to me, and I knew that's what it needed to be. So... Um, the impact of a child having their own sort of toy. As a mother, that must mean a lot to you, but also running this organization, um, it must be just a really rewarding part of what you do. Have you been able to to see the the reaction of any of these kids? Have you have you been able to to see that um, beloved? you know, new little toy um, be placed in their arms? So I have, um, <clears throat> again, because I have a lot of small children, I haven't been able to travel internationally um, to distribute many of, or any of the dolls and bears. Um, but this past summer, I went down to the border and I was able to um, hand deliver, you know, dolls and bears to children who'd just been released from detention. And that was, um, it was incredibly humbling um, but also, of course, very rewarding to be able to see just how much um, giving a small bear or a small doll to a child, how much that meant to them, um, especially after all that they'd just been through. Mm -hmm. And um, and to see the children just kind of come alive and become children again. You know, they, they were just sitting on the laps of their parents or sitting quietly, um, not like children should be, mm -hmm. you know. I kept thinking about my own children, and if they were stuck in a room um, and had been separated with me, from me for days, uh, I just can't imagine the trauma they'd been through or how they'd be acting. But they, you know, a normal child should not be acting the way these children were acting. They were just so lifeless, you know. And um, and really, when they had a doll or, or bear, they were able to pick one, and you just saw the life come back into them. They started playing with them, and... and um, you know, some of the girls pretended to feed the dolls, you know, um, like, you know, like they were feeding a doll a bottle. And it was just um, it was just incredibly humbling to be able to to serve these children and to see what it meant to them. So wow. as a, it, people are listening to this and, and, and oftentimes I think people are inspired to do something, whether it's for the refugees or something within their community. Uh, but as Lisa pointed out, sometimes that. Uh, having the rubber hit the road is where we we kind of forgive ourselves or we just don't do anything about it. Speaking to those people who feel compelled either to help with this particular project or something else, what would be that that extra oomph or motivation that you would say to those folks? Um, so over the years, um, I've done um, a lot of humanitarian work and I've traveled internationally. And, I, 
And um, over the years, I've really learned that most people want to help. Mm -hmm. They just don't know how. Mm -hmm. Um, And or it's too hard. It's too difficult. So for Dolls of Hope, I make it easy for people, right? I provide the patterns. They're able to make them. They send them to me or drop them off to me. um, And then I take care of the logistics of getting them to the children. So I would say um, look for something that you can do um, in your home or in your community that seems doable. So if Mm. you've never made dolls or bears or if you've never sewn before, then maybe find someone who has sewn before who could help if if that speaks to you. Um, And if not, then, yeah, find opportunities or ways that you can serve. You can contact your schools. You can go into your communities. and, And there's so many ways to volunteer and help others. Um, You just have to look a little. And sometimes you have to be brave and you have to say, you know what, maybe it's going to be uncomfortable at first if I'm going to go to a a nursing home or a retirement home or if I'm going to go into a hospital and I'm going to read to children. Maybe it's going to be uncomfortable at first or maybe I'm going to have to learn a little bit. Um, But as I've learned and have been told by so many people, you know, as you step out of your own life and your own circumstances to help someone else, you just receive so many blessings. You just feel so good inside, you know, as you're helping someone else that, you know, the rewards far outweigh any bit of discomfort or, you know, fear of, well, maybe I can't do that well enough, you know, or maybe I wouldn't be good reading to children or, you know, mm-hmm. you just have to kind of step out of yourself and just do it. Um, yeah. It seems that you're so natural at this, right? That you have it figured out that there's some sort of click, but I'm sure that there's been times where you sort of hit a wall, right? And thought, oh, this is too much, or this problem uh, within this organization is insurmountable. Was there a time where it was really difficult to get through something like that? And what did you do? Um, So there have been at times, you know, different crises that have happened in the in the past three and a half years mm-hmm. where my heart has just really, really wanted to reach, you know, the children who've been affected. And it's taken me a long time, months sometimes, which I guess in the grand scheme of things things is really not that long. Um, yeah, but, but it, it feels long. In the yeah, middle, if, in the middle yeah, of months, it, it feels yeah. real long. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just, I guess, just keep, I've, I've just kept, you know, looking for ways that I could help or organizations who are helping. And, and what's, kind of miraculous to me is um, I'm always able to find a way and things always open up Hmm. and for example you know I used to ship internationally was really difficult for me to ship internationally um, obviously because you know costs and you couldn't guarantee that your items were going to get there and and, um, thankfully I've had really good luck Um, I've had to pay extra fees and you know but things have for the most part, always gone where they need to go, and it might take extra months and months. But, um, but it's been really difficult. It's really limited my ability to send, you know, to some countries or to some organizations. And then just you know, a couple months ago, someone reached out to me who I've known for years. I haven't talked to her in years, and she said, you know, my husband works in shipping and logistics, and they want <laughs> they want to help. Wow. And she said, let you know, um, can he have your phone number and talk? And he said to me we want to help with shipping internationally. Like, what do you need? And I told him, and he said, we want to help. So things just always open up. You know, I've just had so many people um, willing to help and reach out to me. And and, uh, thankfully, you know, my biggest problem is just finding the time to pack, you know, to ship, to pack Mm -hmm. them all and prepare them all. And, um, but yeah, it's just been, it's been just miraculous to see. If, wow. if people are listening to this and they think, wow, Dolls of Hope is something that I want to be involved in, what's the need that you have or where can they mm. insert themselves? So always just I need more dolls and bears. I receive so many requests from um, organizations saying, you know, we would love to take dolls and bears with us or we're, we're filling a shipping container. We can fill we can put as many as you have in our container. Um, so I just always need more dolls and bears. And um and again, you know, sometimes people will say, well, I don't sew um, or I've got children who I want to help. And, you know, I've had my children helping me make dolls and bears since for years, you know, <laughs> and they're young. They're young children. And this summer, my nine year old learned how to sew the bears and she can make she can sew a bear herself. She's nine. Nice. Um, and they can help stuff. You know, I just always need I always need more. 
What what yeah. uh, website or where can they go to get more information about that? So um, right now we're on Facebook and, and Instagram. Uh, we have a website that's almost completed, but not quite. So on Facebook, it's just Dolls of Hope International. Um, and then on Instagram, it's just Dolls of Hope. Now, this is not the only organization that you are a part of, correct? Correct. What, what other uh, humanitarian work are you doing right now? So um, I have been involved with um, helping refugees locally here um, for years. Um, and then also I've been involved with Operation Underground Railroad for the past few years. Um, and we've been supporting them, you know, since they started. But um, about three years ago, a little over three years ago, I just really felt like I needed to do more to help um, you know, these children who are, who are, you know, um, caught in trafficked, right? Traffic, sex, yes. sex trafficking yes. and, and, and just trafficking in general, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Operation Underground Railroad focuses on children who have been sex trafficked, um, and rescuing children from sex trafficking. Um, but yes, children who are victims of trafficking. And again, because I just have young children and, you know, once you learn about children who are suffering, it's just hard not to want to help. You, you know? have. I'm so impressed that you have such a service uh, um, spirit uh, and and really act on it. Where does that come from? So um, I believe I, I've just always had a heart to serve and um, always just been really drawn to those who are suffering and, and look for ways to serve others. Um, I believe it comes because... Um, because my grandmother actually was a Holocaust survivor. Wow. And so I grew up um, knowing what she had gone through mm -hmm. and, um, you know, knowing that there's, there's horrible things that happen in the world and there needs to be people who step up and help. And, um, and so I just, I feel like her story just shapes so much of mine and my heart. And, and because of her, I've, I've just always, always been looking um, and sensitive to those who are suffering and and then trying to find ways to help them. So Wow, what a legacy of hope, though, to continue on. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Sarah Parson, again, is the founder of Dolls of Hope, an organization that gives children in crisis dolls, bears, and others toys. Again, if you would like to get involved, you can email Sarah at dollsofhopeinternational at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find Dolls of Hope on Instagram at dollsofhope. You can find The Lisa Show on the free BYU radio app. Have you downloaded it yet? Make sure that you grab it, get it, use it, consume us. Uh, wherever you are, you can take us with you. It's like having us on vacation with you, if that's where you listen. And you can also email us, contact us. We'd love to hear from you. The Lisa Show at BYU.edu. Make great use of that subject line and send that email today. Thank you for making The Lisa Show a part of your day.